0: Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, brought to you by the commercial legal practice Aspect Legal. Today, we have back as a guest on our show Grace Yee, who heads up our trademarks division over at Aspect Legal. Hi Grace, thank you so much for coming on board again today to talk about this very interesting and useful topic of how to create branding that can be protected.
1: Good to be here, Jo. I'm excited to talk about trademarks with you. <laughs>
0: first start off by Mm. talking about why we're talking about these topics. So as I said, today we're talking about how to create branding that can be protected. And I guess the reason that you and I really wanted to have an episode all devoted entirely to Mm -hmm. this area is because it's a question and an issue that pops up again and again and again and again, right?
1: Absolutely. And I guess it's really good to have in the back of your mind what it is from a legal point of view that makes a trademark more likely to be able to be protected, especially when you're at that brand development phase. And it can be quite interesting to know that the sorts of things that we're looking for as lawyers is completely different maybe to what someone who is more in the creative side of things might be looking at. So yeah, Yeah. let's get into it.
0: That's a great point. And I guess the issue mm. quite often comes when clients and, and often they may not be clients of ours at that time, but, um, but organizations go to a creative team to help them create a brand and, mm. you know, m- But the creative team or or the accountant who's registering a name for them or or if they themselves are sitting at home trying to or in their office trying to come up with a brand, the one thing that they're often not thinking about is whether Mm. this brand can actually be protected. And maybe we should step back first and say, well, why do we care? Why would they care? Why would they want branding to be protected in the first place? So let's maybe chat about that for a minute.
1: Yeah, it's a good point because I guess some people – They might not care. (laughs) Um, And so the, the reason why you would care is if you're building up your business and building up that goodwill and people are identifying you with your name, that starts to become very valuable to you. And it can cause a lot of problems if you have competitors out there who use similar elements in their name because then there's confusion It erodes the value that you have in your own name. And then there's also value in when you go to sell your business, having that trademark registered because you can add that to the dollar value of the saleable price of your business. Mm,
0: Because now it's a proven asset. It's a proven asset of the business and of Mm. course there's all of these other elements that relate to the commercial use of a brand once it's been registered. And in fact over at our uh, show notes we'll put a link through to ways that you can get yourself a trademark information pack. If you're in interested mm. in finding out what the benefits are of trademark registration and why the hell you might bother with trademark registration. So I think we'll throw that in the show notes as well so people don't have to take this all in in one podcast. But generally speaking, whether you're a small business or a large business, whether or not you're coming up with the brand for a product or the brand relates to the business as a whole, Brand mm-hmm. protection is an important way for you to stop competitors from using a mark that's too similar for similar sorts of goods or services that you're selling under that mark. And I think, in essence, that's why many organisations seek to protect their brand and lock in their marketing spend, basically. So, mm, Absolutely. Go ahead. I, I was
1: just going to add the flip side of that as well is that
0: you'd want to look at this
1: issue you know, when you're at that brand development stage, because there's the other side of the risk, what I'm trying to say is you might actually be at risk of infringing somebody else's brand in, in mm. coming up with your name. Yep. And you'd want to know that risk before you walk into that
0: yeah. yep. potential
1: legal minefield.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. So, you know, trademarks really help you, well, obviously protect a brand once you have it, Mm. but also protect you against the threat of other organisations making some sort of claim that you're infringing their mark. That's right. So so I guess coming back now, how do we create branding that can be protected? So we've talked about why you might want branding that can be protected. Let's Mm. Let's talk about some of these, these issues that we see again and again and again and again in branding that relates to brands that just can't be protected. And, you know, I'm thinking here, Grace, I'm sure you've got loads and loads of examples that we've seen in over the many years that we've been working together in this area. But, um, you know, I I think one of the most common areas that pops to mind for me is the really descriptive mark. You know, we see that a lot, don't we? And and the problems that occur with descriptive marks.
1: Yes, yes. And I can... I can see why people are drawn, especially, I guess, smaller businesses, why they're drawn to a really descriptive mark. Because, you know, if you're starting up a business and you might be an accountant or you provide cleaning services and you want to communicate that really quickly, it's it's really simple to just name your suburb and name the services you provide because it just communicates very quickly where you are and what you do. Yeah. But they're exactly the sort of name that not going to be able to get registered as a trademark, um, as a word mark, because it's just too descriptive. It's too generic. So, and, and that, and a lot of people find that really surprising. So, it might be really good to talk through now what it is that makes a mark generic or distinctive.
0: Absolutely, let's do that. Let's do that. And and just before we launch into that, maybe maybe mm-hmm. we should say that part of the issue is not just that you can't. Um, that it's hard to get protection for very descriptive or generic names. But Mm. most importantly, it's very hard to stop anyone else from using, whether you do or don't have a trademark registration, it can be very difficult to stop anyone from using anything similar. So anyway, let's let's Mm. launch into examples. What is a descriptive or generic mark and why is it an issue? Yep.
1: So, um, I like to say that the, the the quick way of testing is my mark too generic is to ask yourself whether the words that are contained in your mark, whether they describe any characteristic of the goods or services. So if they describe the nature of the services or goods that you're providing or the quality or where they come from, those sorts of things, then it can be quite clear that the words, are too generic. And, and when we talk about marks being generic or distinctive, we're, talk, we're talking about a spectrum. We might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but we're talking about a spectrum. It's never black and white. It is somewhere on a spectrum. And at one end, you'll have highly generic, highly descriptive words, and we don't want the marks to be up that end. Um, And up the other end, we have highly distinctive and unique marks and words. And most marks will fall somewhere on that spectrum, but you want to fall sufficiently enough up the distinctive end that you're able to be granted a trademark registration. So I might just give some examples of what the sorts of words might be that would fail for being too generic. So some examples that come to mind would be things like white creamy milk, if your product is milk because both the words white and creamy describe the milk Mm. or if you're a dentist calling yourself the good dentist or maybe the suburb and then dental surgery. So those sorts of words are too descriptive. And then words um, like, Perfection, excellent, those sorts of words fail because they praise your goods and services. and And so when we say that these words fail, the the reason why they're failing, and and I think it can be helpful to know the reasoning behind this sort of thing. The reason why these words will fail is because once the trademark office grants anyone a trademark registration, essentially they're giving them a monopoly over those words, which then gives them the exclusive use of those words in relation to those goods and services. So in effect, if they gave someone the ability to own the word white creamy milk, for milk, it would give them the ability to stop any other trader from using the words white or creamy, even if it's in their marketing to describe um, their milk products. so those sorts of words should be freely available to anyone when they're referring to their goods and services. So mm. this is what we're what the reasoning is behind this.
0: Great. Okay, so so let's maybe. uh, So I think we've sort of set out the issues, you you know. And Mm. if you're if you're involved in the creative development process at all for brands, or you're a business yourself and you're looking at either developing a brand or or rebranding for a business, hopefully it's been clear to you here that one of the elements that you need to try and stick away from is generic sort of descriptions. And of course, marketers Mm. marketers love the concept of generic descriptions often mm. because it makes it really clear what your brand is talking about but I guess we say from a legal perspective maybe let mm. your tagline do some of that work in tying back that descriptive element you know mm. come up with a name that is protectable mm. and then use a tagline if necessary to then link mm. that back to exactly what you're doing. So yes. let's talk about what's good to include in your branding in order for it to be distinctive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so the sorts of marks that are up that highly distinctive end of that spectrum are completely invented words. So words that don't exist in the English language or any language at all, Mm -hmm. if they're completely invented words, then obviously nobody else is using that word. And so no competitor would have need to use that word. And those sorts of marks are immediately protectable. So the sorts of words that come to mind are are things like Adidas, where it's a combination of of the initials of the founders of Adidas and or, or words like Skype, which means, Sky peer to peer. So these sorts of words that are invented um, are are highly distinctive.
0: Mm, Great. Okay. All right. So coined or invented words are good. Big tick there. Yeah. If, you can, <laughs> if you can come up with a coin or invented word, then this sort of word is going to be immediately protectable. So big tick here for coined or invented words. What's the next yes. element that yep. organizations could think about when coming up with branding mm. that is good from a distinctive viewpoint? Yes. Yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. So so what we call them arbitrary words or expressions, but so it ties back into what we're talking before about generic words where it's highly descriptive. These arbitrary words are really distinctive because these words have nothing to do with the goods or services that are being provided under that brand. So a common example that I give, Apple, because everybody knows Apple, and Apple obviously has nothing to do with computers or phones, so it's highly distinctive. Another computer or phone manufacturer wouldn't have need to use the word Apple to refer to their products. So or Google in for in. a
0: search engine, yes. I guess. You know, there's that's another right. there's another one, right? It it has a meaning, yes. but completely, its its meaning is it's a a number. It's uh, completely unconnected to meaning anything to do with search. Search, I guess, internet search. That's right,
1: mm. that's right. So those sorts of marks are immediately predictable.
0: Great. So big tick here for arbitrary words, expressions, or slogans. They're good. Um, yes. So. Bear in mind, if you come up with an arbitrary word or an expression or a slogan, then, um, then this is good. You're keeping in the distinctive territory here. Okay. What, what yeah. else, Grace? What else could we think about here?
1: Um, so another example might be where you have an, an unlikely grammatical construction. So, so what we're meaning here are things where, so so words where there's a, a misspelling and it's it's not an obvious misspelling, or you've got an unlikely way that you put the words together. So for example, um, we've got Groupon which is a combination of the words group and coupon. So they convey some sort of meaning, but it's, it's an unlikely way of combining those two words to convey that meaning.
0: Great, okay. And so we're sort of coming up with, and this is a little bit like our coined or invented words here, but we're saying it doesn't have to be completely invented. It might be a pairing of the beginning of one word, the end of another, or something like that, just like Groupon did, Group Coupon. Um, yes. So if you're coming up with these unlikely grammatical constructions, once again, big tick for distinctiveness. Of course, when I'm saying here big tick, of course, the next step is always doing a trademark search to make sure no one else is using it. But here we're talking about what what inherently makes a mark likely to be distinctive and protectable instead of descriptive or generic. Okay. What, what other words here, Grace?
1: Yeah. So another category of words that are immediately protectable are suggestive words and this is where you can really be creative and and put your creative hat on uh, because you can come up with words that, that contain an element of descriptiveness or a hint of descriptiveness but it's vague and so they usually involve some lateral thinking, some circuitous thinking and a shimmer and or surprise and there could be a pun in there and what I guess people don't gravitate to these sorts of marks because you need to then um, really educate your market to know what it means. But mm. these sorts of marks are, are highly distinctive. So an example that we might give, give here is the mark Twitter because it describes the services as providing a short burst of inconsequential information and and they use that image of a bird to type back into that word Twitter. But in and of itself, Twitter doesn't actually describe the services that they're providing in a direct
0: way. So Mm. this sort of mark is immediately protectable. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, great. And uh, I think on all of these elements that we've been talking about, not only are these marks protectable. But given the creativity of them, quite often they make it a lot easier for you to be able to stop anyone from using anything similar in relation to Mm. your goods or services. So it's really good if to adopt this sort of philosophy in naming. If Mm. you're Mm. going to pour a bit of money into your brand and you really want to distinguish your goods or services, from those of a competitor. That's right. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, all right. And I think we've got one other area here that we generally talk about as being, you know, um, an example of the sorts of things that can potentially be good to include in your branding. What's this last area that we talk about, Grace? Grace.
1: Yeah, we talk about names um, and surnames or personal names or company names, I, I guess because a lot of people do want to use their own name for their business. And what we say is that if you're going to go for a name, it has to be an unusual name. You can't use a really common name like Smith. So this can really depend on a case-by-case basis because some names just more well-known than other names and this can sound a bit technical, but when the Trademarks Office does examine a trademark application for a name, they will look at the electoral roll and there's a cutoff in, in terms of the number of people within Australia on the electoral roll that have that name, especially surnames we're talking about there. But it can be distinctive. So, for example, we've got the mark Agi which which was named after the founder Julius Maggi and the surname is just not that common so it can be a distinctive mark.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So uh, so I think we've given some really good tips here in relation to what's good to include in your branding if you want something mm-hmm. that you can really stop competitors from using something similar to and in order for you to be in good stead of getting a trademark registration, therefore protection for your mark, assuming no one else is using Mm. something similar. So let's take a short break. When we get back, Grace talks to us about the elements that you should avoid including in your brand name in order to keep it distinctive and protectable. We'll also drill into the importance of making sure the legal considerations are dealt with early on in the brand development phase. And finally, we'll close this episode out by linking you through to our most requested article on trademarks so that you can grab a copy of it too. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki and you're listening to Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. team at Aspect Legal specialises in providing trademark registrations and general advice on brand protection and commercialisation for companies and individuals based anywhere in the world. So if you work in creating brands or logos for businesses, or if indeed you're a business needing assistance in protecting your brand, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with one of our lawyers to discuss how we can help you or your client. We also provide free trademark packs if you want to get a bit of an understanding of the process and the timelines. And of course, we do more than just trademark registrations. We work with our clients on a range of issues to assist them in making their trademarks work for them. So if you want to find out more, pop us an email at trademarks at aspectlegal.com. .com.au or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a free consultation with one of our specialist lawyers. Welcome back. Earlier Grace talked about the importance of brand protection. We also discussed the concept of descriptive marks and the reason why these types of marks fail registration. Then we ran through a list of elements that can help make your brand more distinctive. Now, let's jump back into our conversation with Grace and talk about the flip side of what we talked about before the break. So let's talk about the elements you ought to avoid in your brand names. Let's maybe talk about now on the flip side, what isn't good? And I guess the first one, the first one we always have to talk about is the purely descriptive or generic marks. And we talked a little bit about that right in the beginning of this podcast where mm. we, we suggest that you keep away from geographical origins or characteristics of the goods or services, like the good dentist you were talking about, Grace.
1: Yes, yep, yep. So those sorts of words, no, no, don't go
0: there. <laughs> we'll have bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be hard to stop copycats, you know. That's the reality as well. That's right. All right. So, so we've covered off purely descriptive or generic mm. marks. What else yes. isn't good?
1: Yeah, so it's a common theme and, and I've mentioned it before. But so common surnames they're they're no good. They're too hard to protect. Mm-hmm. And and as I mentioned, it'll depend on the number of people on the electoral roll. Another sort of mark that is hard to get are when you have acronyms or or numbers in your mark. So short combinations of letters and numbers. If those if that acronym has a really obvious meaning in your industry or market and everybody knows what that acronym means, again, because it's too descriptive it can fail and and not be registrable for that reason. Mm.
0: And look, I think the mere fact that we're talking here about short combinations of numbers and letters on their own also means that quite often, even if you could pass the distinctiveness requirement in relation to Mm. the mark, you're probably Mm. dealing with other marks on the trademarks register that are going to be considered to be too close anyway because there's only so many permutations and combinations of short combinations of numbers and letters that can be arrived at. So, you know, often they are just, if you can get them registered, you still can't because they'll be blocked by other marks on the register. That's right. That's right. And that's possibly
1: another podcast in and of itself to talk about
0: the issue of having
1: marks on the register
0: that are too similar. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because yeah. there are ways to deal with this and we deal with this all the time, mm. Grace, you know, and, and it's yeah. all about filing strategy but you need to understand what you're doing before you go down that path. Otherwise, you're just throwing, <laughs> throwing yeah. money into useless applications Mm-mm. Yeah, and even exposing yourself once you're on the yeah. register as applying for a mark to possible infringement actions if someone else um, feels right. that you're too close.
1: Oh, I just thought I'd mention that all of this, what we've been talking about in terms of distinctiveness and descriptiveness of marks, um, we've been purely talking about it from the point of view that the mark in question is a word mark. But the same sort of considerations can apply to other types of marks because, of course... In case we've never talked about specifically, you can have all sorts of different types of trademarks. So you can have an image that can function as a trademark. And even some more unusual types of trademarks are colours and and sounds and aspects of packaging, which which are very unusual. But the same sorts of considerations would apply. So, say for example, if we're talking about an image we would still be looking at that spectrum. Is it highly descriptive or is it distinctive? And for example, if you had a very ordinary image of a car with just plain borders and then something like that, so something very generic, it, would, it might not be able to be registered for, for a car sale business. So the considerations might be slightly different, but it's the same general concept.
0: Mhm. I think that's a really good point. That's that's an excellent point here in relation to logos because you're right, we have been talking about words here, but you know, a high percentage of the marks that we deal with registration of have a mm. strong component of a logo or some other mark, some other element that contributes to the mark. So, um it's certainly it's important for organizations to understand what they're doing as they're creating the logos um, as well as the names that go together to create the brand and the mark for a business. Yeah, that's right. Lots to think about. (laughs) There's a lot to think about. And, look, let's just address the issue here that it sounds very complicated. We've just talked about a lot Mm. here about what's good and bad in branding Mm. and, you know, I think quite often it can be a confusing area when someone, when an organisation is trying to come up with a brand or a new brand, rebrand mm. for mm. either a product or a business. Often, there's a lots of considerations that need to be made. But, yes. but I think our point is don't make these legal elements the last consideration. Yes, because absolutely. it just costs everyone time and money. Yes. If you leave these legal considerations right to the end, and and really the best way to do it is to team up with you, your legal team. You know we work with a lot of um, creatives in helping them do get clearance for the concepts that they're coming up with, so that the end mm. customer or client is only being provided with the final concepts that actually could be chosen, could be protected, won't end them in some sort of litigation for, mm. you know, a trademark infringement action. But, yes, you know, we have so many stories, don't we, Grace, of yes. <laughs> clients coming to us, new clients coming to us, and we find that they've spent a lot of money in concept development on concepts that just will either A, land them in trouble or B, just won't be protectable yeah. for them, so they won't be able to protect that marketing spend.
1: Yeah, and it's not nice to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah,
0: and, and we so- don't like it. We we want <laughs> no, we want we to be like you know the the good Helpful. the good news beacons. That's right. <laughs> right yeah,
1: if, if only all creative ad agencies had a lawyer that they could speak to and just yeah. say, "Could you just have a quick look yeah. at these names and give us your feedback?" Because we're looking at it from a completely different perspective. And I guess we need to work together because we should be involved at that early brand development stage because we can give you some really valuable insight.
2: Mm.
1: I guess if you are that creative group to give that value to your client, Um, if you're creating the name for your own business, we can really help you at that early stage to come up with a name that is less likely to have issues down the track.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, good. Well, look, thank you so much for your time here, Grace. We talked about this area of creating branding that can be protected, as I said in the beginning, because we are asked about it all the time. And we Mm. have an article where we set out each of these elements. And we'll refer in the show notes to this article because the article also creates a little bit more detail and and it's a good sort of checkbox exercise for you if you're involved in creating branding, either for your own business or if that's a service that you provide for your customers. Mm. So we'll link to that in the show notes. And I I think this is, Grace, you've told me that this is one of the most requested articles that we've produced. Yes. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) So we feel good getting the message out there because we really prefer to be the bearer of good news rather than bad news. Mm. And, you know, once people have poured a whole heap of money down the drain coming up with marks that will land them in hot water A or can't be protected B. There's nothing that can be done other than abandoning the mark and starting the process all again. So hopefully this has given you, the listener, a good outline of the sorts of things that you need to consider in terms of creating branding that can be protected. Thanks, Grace, for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
1: Thanks. I hope
0: everyone found it helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. All right. Look, if you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at talkinglaw.com.au. There, you'll be able to get a free download of this transcript. We'll also provide some links through to our article on how to create branding that can be protected, that has the checklists of things to include that are good and things to avoid that are bad. And on that page, we will also provide links to our trademark kit. If you're interested in talking to someone about trademark services in the trademark kit, we provide some documentation that helps you understand what the benefits are of trademark registration, how the trademark registration process works and what some of the myths in the trademark areas because we're always out here busting myths. And if you would like, we can also provide you with a free 15-minute consultation with either Grace or any of the other members of our Trademark and Intellectual Property team. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and Gracie on Talking Law, sponsored by the commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time.
2: Thanks for listening to Talking Law.